In today's episode, we discuss how faith is a foundation for happiness, the renaissance of men, battling with the ego, how to be a better man, and finding many of life's balances. Really hope you'll enjoy today's episode. If you could hop on and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, or give us a share on social media, it really helps us to spread the word. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by IcePod, finally an affordable, portable, and effective way to get the benefits of cold water immersion in the comfort of your own home. I opted for the Pro Bundle, which includes the IcePod, a water circulating pump, a special insulated lid, and a thermometer to check the temp of your water. Even in Georgia, the IcePod keeps my water between 60 and 70 degrees, and when I load it up with a 36-pack of water bottles that I use and refreeze after each session, I can easily get it around 50 degrees for the perfect cold water immersion experience. Despite being light and portable, the IcePod is super durable, and it's the perfect solution for anyone who wants to experience the benefits of cold water immersion without spending thousands of dollars for a home water chiller or trying to DIY your own. Cold immersion can help with recovery and muscle soreness, raise dopamine levels, help you wake up and be more alert, help you to burn more calories, mobilize brown fat, and more. Visit podcompany.com and use my special promo code SHANE50107 for $10 off your order, and each sale helps to support the show as well. Stay cool out there, people. Are you looking for the perfect high-protein snack that isn't loaded with stuff like MSG, nitrates, and sugar? Carnivore Snacks is the perfect high-protein snack made from quality grass-fed beef and salt. That's it. Each bag uses one pound of high-quality beef, lamb, pork, or chicken, salt, and nothing else. Aside from being easy, healthy, and convenient, they also taste great. These snacks are not just another jerky. They are way better. Give a bag a try, and I know you'll keep coming back. Check out Carnivore Snacks, spelled with an X, dot com, and enter coupon code SHANE05137 for 15% off your order, and each sale will help support the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast as well. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hey everybody, welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen. I'm here with today's guest, Will Spencer. Welcome to the show. Hey Shane, thanks for having me. No problem. Looking looking forward to today's conversation. Why don't you just start out by uh, introducing yourself and giving us a little bit about your background? Sure. I'm the host of the Renaissance of Men podcast, which is documenting the 40-year rebirth of masculinity that I've been exploring and trying to understand. And so the podcast highlights some of the men and women who are leading that effort towards what I call a great reconciliation of the sexes. I have a documentary film project I've been working on about that. I also do uh, men's mentorship and online men's groups as well. And you can find out information about all of that at redofmen.com slash links. Awesome. So why why don't you tell us a little bit about um, specifically, you know, about your you know, your, your podcast, like how you got started in that and also your documentary, if you want to kind of trail that in there too. 
Yeah, so um, so I got I got exposed to uh, what we might call the men's movement in 2013 when I attended the New Warrior Training Adventure put on by the Mankind Project, which was a weekend men's initiation that was based on the writings of uh, of Robert Bly, specifically the book Iron John. And so that was when I discovered that there were all these different men of all different backgrounds suffering from the same sets of problems, trying to discover what it means to be a man, and and mm. very powerfully connecting with each other and building bonds of brotherhood that I had not seen anywhere else really in the world before. And so I continued doing that work for a few years until I discovered uh, the Manosphere in 2018. And when I discovered the Manosphere, I realized that not only are the guys, other guys like from the Mankind Project doing men's inner work, like psychological, emotional healing, there are also men out there working on personal finance and working on fitness and healing what we might call their outer lives. I was like, hang on a second. This whole thing is much bigger than I realized. And so then I started reading the books and going back in time and realized that there was 40 years of men writing about reclaiming, rediscovering, restoring masculinity in different ways. And so I started reading all the books and watching YouTube videos. And I discovered that it's actually this rebirthing process that is now culminating in a rediscovery of fatherhood, faith, and family, uh, and also the Christian faith, especially. And so my I started the podcast in um, in 2020 because I wanted it to be a little bit like a gallery of thought leaders. Like you can come on the podcast and I'll interview. We'll do extended interviews. In many cases, my longest episode was five hours long wow. where we take apart um, yeah, men's yeah. ideas, their backgrounds, their origin stories. For the idea being that listeners would find the kind of man that most resonates with them because there are so many different mm -hmm. kinds of men. The Lord of the Rings is a great example of you have Gandalf and Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, et cetera. And there are all these very different kinds of men that are all equally men. And so we're, we're like that as men. So here are all these different leaders. Find the one that most resonates with you and go follow his path. And the documentary, the Renaissance of Men documentary series is meant to be an overview of that, uh, but in visual form. And so I've been doing both of those for about three years now. Interesting. Very cool. I, I watched mm -hmm. the documentary for, or the, uh, not the documentary, but I watched the intro for the documentary. I thought it looked really, mm -hmm. really great. So I'm excited to see more about that when it does come out. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting with the, the idea of like the renaissance of men, because I actually, you know, I'm 34. So about the same time that you were going through this, actually, I was going through a similar experience in my kind of like early to mid twenties where I think it was about 22 or 23. And I asked myself like, what is a man? And I really mm. just didn't know the answer. I, I yeah. didn't know the answer to that. And that that troubled me pretty deeply because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I guess like if anyone has watched like Matt Walsh's uh, documentary on what is a woman, right? It's it's a hard thing to describe, right? It's a hard thing to define, but it's like we kind of all know what it is when we see it. And mm. I guess I started going through my own process of just buying every book on manhood that I could find. You know, I read like I read Terry Cruz's docu or uh, autobiography, like call it's called Manhood. I read. Mm -hmm you know, fire in the belly, the way of the superior man. Mm -hmm. Classics. Um, yeah. And that also about the same time that I got into um, philosophy. And so I'm just reading, you know, the Stoics and uh, mm -hmm. reading like Plato and Socr Socrates and some of his teachings. And it, it was a long process, but I think, you know, the, the thing that helped me a lot is exactly what you're talking about, which is just looking at the lives of 
some of these great men and just taking pieces or lessons from their life and trying to apply them to my own. And it, I don't know that like, there was never, I guess, like a moment of where I just recognize like, okay, I'm a man today, but I guess it just slowly right. kind of crystallizes over time. And something that I gained from that, I also read some, um, I'm drawing a blank on the author. He's very controversial. Um, it's the way of men is what he wrote. Jack Donovan. Jack Donovan. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't agree with everything, but I agreed with parts. And I, th I think he has a lot of like truth in his books for sure. Um, you know, one thing that he specifically talked a lot about was like the rite of passage. And I, I definitely think that that's something that we lost. And I, I look forward to, you know, if, if I have a son someday, if I'm, you know, fortunate enough to, to be able to create some sort of kind of like rite of passage for him. Cause I think that's, I think it's important to like have a mindset shift of, okay, like I'm no longer a boy and, you know, it's, it's tough to be 20 years old or 30 years old and you've never really shifted your thinking to like, I'm, I'm a man. So I think it's, you know, super important what you're doing too. Thank you. Yeah. The rites of passage. That's what I experienced at the mankind project in 2013. It was literally a rite of passage, like a 48 hour rite of passage process that they put men through. And that's what's, that is a lot of what's missing. There's more than just that, but that's what's missing because I've, I've spent some time thinking about it because, um, uh, because the Mankind Project blew up in, I think it was last year or the year before. They went woke, unfortunately, um, and, and yeah. the whole organization blew up as a result of that. Uh, and so, uh, but it's still a need that men have to go through rites of passage. So what is, what is an actual rite of passage? Like what's actually going on? The Mankind Project had a very successful rite of passage. Like that was the one thing I could say is that their, their uh, new warrior training adventure weekend was expertly crafted, finely honed, and very, very effective. You walked out of that weekend being like, I have just been initiated. Wow. Right. So, and that's what changed me was a recognition that, that now I am a man with all the responsibilities of what it means to be a man. I've, I've crossed a, I've crossed a bridge I cannot uncross. I'm in a new phase of my life. So, yeah. so what's actually involved with a rite of passage? I think the important elements of a rite of passage are First, it has to be something you can fail at. Like if you can be carried across the finish line, right, by somebody, it's not a rite of passage. Like you have to cross the finish line under your yeah. own strength. No, no also, participation medal, right? Like you don't get a medal right. just for showing up. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have to draw on resources deeper within you than you'd ever previously realized and also higher above you. Like I can't, whatever this rite of passage is, whatever this thing is, I can't accomplish it purely under my own strength as I understand it. I have to push myself beyond my boundaries and take, take a leap, leap of faith. So that's the, those are the inner components. And then when I complete the task successfully, I have to be acknowledged for having done so by a, a community of men who I honor who have also completed that rite of passage. So it's like you do the thing. You draw on the inner resources. You find out you're stronger than you realize. You find a connection to something above you in the form of faith. You complete the task. And then when you stand up from it, standing around you are men that have done the same thing, men that you honor, that, that you hold in esteem, that acknowledge you then for having done the thing and bestow manhood on you. The totality of that process is a rite of passage. And we don't have that anymore. And so yeah. what you have is a bunch of, um, essentially, it's like boy psychology driving adult male bodies. And so that's why you have the world we, we have today. 
You have, you know, men who have a lot of machismo and are often ridiculed for very, being very brittle because they are. And then you have a lot of like soy boys who won't engage with life at all. That's its own form of weakness. And strength is actually something that we discover from within and then we're, is bestowed upon us from without. And that's what makes us men. And so I'm trying to figure out how to do that in such a way, because ancient tribes that used to do rites of passage, you could die, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like the, the boys would be initiated and like some boys just didn't make it. The ones who made it were then men. I don't know that anyone's going to want to participate in that now, right? Um, especially, uh, especially adult men. So I've been trying to crack that code myself to figure out how to put together rites of passage in that way. Yeah. A, a great example of the one you just mentioned is like the movie 300. I'm sure a lot of people have seen mm -hmm. that movie uh, yeah. where they basically, they're like, all right, you know, you're, you're 13. You can hold your spear. You've trained for X amount of years. We're going to kick you out, go kill a wolf and don't come back until you do. And if, if you don't, yep. you'll just, you know, like there's no, there's no coat for you. Like you're going to have to kill the cut, kill the, kill the wolf and make it back before you freeze to death. So yeah, yeah. obviously, you know, pretty, pretty radical, but uh, it, you know, something I thought about with the rites of passage too, that always has been on my mind is like, you know, some people might say like, well, why, you know, why, why don't women need a rite of passage? And I think because they have an inborn rite of passage, right? They, mm -hmm. they have, they have menstruation. Uh, yeah. A young, a young girl will reach the age where she menstruates and it's just kind of known like, okay, honey, now, now you're a woman. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, there may not be this like complex process of telling them necessarily what that means, but there's a point in their life where there's a definitive moment where someone says you're now a woman and it's, it's different. I think things change psychologically. And, you know, unfortunately, young boys, we just, we, we, most of us don't have that. You know, we, we never even have a moment where like, you know, your dad or your mom says you're, you're a man now. It's just kind of like you, you're a teenager, you know, you go off to college, maybe you live off your live on your own for a while, you, you come back and it's, you know, who, who, whoever just says like, now is the time where you're going to be held accountable. Now is the time that you're in charge of your own destiny. Now is the time that you have to accept, you know, manhood. Mm -hmm. I think women have three initiations that they go through actually. First is when they get menstruation. Uh, and the second is when they have their, their first child. And the third is when they can no longer bear children, menopause. And I think it's the three initiations that women go through from, from being a girl to a woman, a woman to a mother, and a mother to, we might say, an elder or an older woman. Um, now for men, and this is when they, they come into their, women come into their innate gifts of childbearing. Men, when we hit puberty, we come into the gifts of our physical strength. It's when the testosterone kicks on. It's when the, it's when the muscles begin filling out, filling out the bones become stronger. So we discover all this strength that we're just given. And strength that you're not trained how to use can easily become destructive, right? Yeah. Some men will just turn destructive with their strength. And some men, because they have a conscience, they will never discover their strength at all because they worry, if I pull the sword from the stone, will I become a tyrant? And some men really, that's, I see that a lot in my work. It's like men resist discovering their own power because they're afraid of, if I actually draw the sword, what kind of man will I be? Now, those mm. are the kind of men that can be trusted with strength, but they've never had a father guide them through learning how to use it, right? And so initiation for a man is initiation into the depth and the reality of his strength and the accountability of, of what community to use it in. And you need both. You need men to discover their strength especially, especially we might say uh, pa more passive men, we'll say passive and active. So more passive men need to discover their strength. They don't have a problem with accountability. 
that, that it's that they're already so inwardly accountable it's already switched on they need to discover strength but then you have other men that are more active they've already discovered their strength but they don't know accountability rites of passage put these two together and allow men to teach us teach each other and learn from each other that's why it's so important yeah very very well said and like that that actually kind of brings me to one of the questions that i had which is you know I, it's i i think i want to say it's clear to see but there's a lot of people who don't see it unfortunately but masculinity is so much under attack right and mm-hmm. you know things like a lot of things that are positive kind of like masculine traits have been labeled as just, you know, misogynistic or have just been labeled as toxic masculinity. And as I'm sure you're well aware and talk about, right. Uh, Because you've, you've studied it so much and this is your, your life's work. You know, there, there are manifestations of physical strength that can be toxic masculinity, but it's really, there is a difference, right? Like someone going in and just like, like, and putting on this facade a lot of times comes from a place of like deep fragility and insecurity, right? But at the same time, someone that is complete, someone that has that accountability, someone that has inner virtues that they, they sort of model their character on, you know, the exhibitions of strength can be a very like healthy thing. You're tapping into a, a natural part of yourself. So I guess, you know, why do you think in the modern age that masculinity is under such attack? Do you think that it is just because we are trying to progress and in a way of doing that, we're just kind of trying to make everyone like blend together? Or do you think that it's maybe something a little bit more intentional and maybe nefarious, I guess? Um, the the war, the attack on masculinity, there are so many different reasons why it's happening i think the yeah. ultimate reason is to is is to rip apart the family um uh, to rip apart the what we might call yeah. the nuclear family the patriarchal family with the husband as head as head of household to atomize us from families into individuals uh and then and then once you've ripped apart the family once you once you've ripped apart the family unit you can uh keep boys as uh keep men turn men into boys right and then you can elevate women so that women have to behave like men. Because if men step back, women will step forward, right? And so then you have this inverted structure where you actually have the woman in charge. And that leads to um, collectivization and chaos. And the chaos then has to be managed by an external source of authority, the state, right? That's, that's, what, that, that's what happens. So I think it's ultimately an attempt to uh, subvert God's authority with the authority of man, the authority of the state, the authority of the the system. I think that's ultimately the goal. And there have been lots of different things, techniques that have been used over the course of the past, I'll say 150 years, especially to bring that about in different, um, in different ways. And so um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I think it is ultimately um, to help bring about, um, uh, to bring about chaos and then uh, when you create a society of chaos, someone has to step forward and say, I'm going to provide order. And, and what you get in exchange for the order is you lose freedom. And then you get people locked into like a digital surveillance kind of prison to manage all the chaos. And that brings about order. And I think that's ultimately the goal. I think, and I think it's Marxist in nature. It's occultic yeah. in nature um, as well. So I think that's the end goal of all of it. Yeah, I think... 
I definitely was thinking a lot about, you know, Karl Marx as you were, as you were speaking, right. And just like the destruction of the family, the destruction of God and like making, making the state into the God that like now, you know, whenever there's a problem, right. We look to science, which is like the, the, like the bastard child of the state at this point, right. Like no mm. science is funded unless it, unless it is uh, directly contributing to like the narrative that's already been, you know, <laughs> pre-planned it seems and so i i definitely see that right it's it's a it's a breakdown of the family unit a breakdown of people's deeper faith in anything a, a breakdown in people's even fundamental like faith in themselves to reason and think and just yeah this this deference to authority to the central authority whether it's you know one person or like our our weird corporatist government that currently runs the united states right uh whether mm -hmm. whether it's a small council of you know hidden people or a group of politicians or just a, a tyrant, uh, yes, it does it does seem that that's the end goal. Yeah, and behind behind the whole science, it's actually there's actually the religion of credentialism, and that's what you're actually looking at. It's like, oh, what's do you have a degree in that? Do you study that? Oh, well, are, are you an expert? Listen to the experts. It's a religious belief that experts are somehow holy and pure mm -hmm. cannot be corrupted and their expertise makes them makes them trustworthy more trustworthy than your own eyes than common sense than reason than anything and so you see you saw all that through the whole covid you know pandemic where it's like everyone's looking around like hey it's been 6 months there aren't bodies stacked in in the streets maybe this isn't going to be such a bad bad deal well where's your science degree bro what did you go to medical school? Listen to the people who went to medical school. It's like, yeah. and so men had, and, and so that's a, that's ultimately um, something that strong men had to figure out how to stand up against the, the religion of credentialism, which is, yeah. you know, it's that, that's what's really behind the quote unquote, the science. Right. And, you know, like love, love or hate, uh, you know, the Tate brothers, right. There, there's parts I agree with parts I disagree with. Um, you know, one one thing that he said that really stood out to me, um, particularly when he's talking about his whole like idea of the matrix and everything is, you know, he just kind of broke it down and he's like, look, like who, who fights wars? You know, it's, it's fighting age young men. Like the, those mm -hmm. are the people that have always fought wars. So if you basically take away all those people's collective faith in themselves to, to go out and enact change and their, if you take away their strength, if you take away their ability to reason, you know, and I, I, I know this is going to sound sexist, but like women are never going to go create an army and go kill each other. Right. It just, it's, it's not <laughs> something that women do. Some women will go fight in war, right. It, it is uh, inevitable. And there have been histories and cultures that had really badass, you know, female warriors, you know, the Vikings had like the, the shield maidens and stuff, but, you know, collectively right when you when you look out across two raging armies that are coming together to exterminate one another it's 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 hard to ever imagine a a time and place where it would be predominantly women and it would just be a few men speckled out there um right so you know it seems like that is that's part of that intentional control right is we're we're going to specifically try to control and take away the power of these groups of people that actually have i guess the motivation or maybe the uh the the masculine impulse to try to try to create order and to change mm -hmm. i think i think there's also another layer to that um where if you slowly if you slowly weaken and this this may be what 
Tate is talking about is that if you slowly weaken men and make life so comfortable and so numbing, one little step at a time, you can add one more layer of the digital prison, one, mm. one more bit of control, one like where you exchange comfort for liberty. Like, okay, I'll give you this little piece of liberty of this little piece of privacy for some more comfort, right? Like, oh, okay, um, I'll put a always on microphone in my apartment and we'll call it Amazon Alexa and I can just talk to it and it'll just mean that I don't have to walk across the room and turn up the stereo or whatever. I don't have to write anything down. I just give up this notion of liberty because there's a microphone that's recording at all times in my house. That's cool. It's like, oh, I'm really scared about, you know, whatever crime in my neighborhood. So I'll just give up the liberty of the privacy of who comes to my front door by putting a ring camera on the front door of my house. Oh, I know. I'll I'll give up the uh I'll give up the uh the tedium of like actual exercise and I'll put a biometric sensor in my wrist that's tracking my heart rate and all this stuff all day. And so every little bit of comfort is giving away a piece of liberty because no one's strong enough to be like, get this shit off my body. What? What do you go away? Right? Pardon my yeah. swearing. But I think I think that's a that's an element of it until sooner or later we have central bank digital currencies and all of sure. that. Because we've all lost as men the ability to provide a livelihood. We're all we're all very much connected to a system and disconnected from the ability to produce value outside of what the system allots us. And so I think that there's there's a notion of, of being um, masculine men that wants to produce, that wants to create, that wants to conquer, and that wants to win, even if that doesn't mean going to war. It just means in our everyday lives. And as we get slowly numbed to the process of actually fighting and killing and eating in a metaphorical sense, we forget that aspect of ourselves. And then and then the, the weeds grow over us and we fall asleep. And I think mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big part of it as well. Very well said. It makes me think of I read Walden finally uh, recently, mm. and mm -hmm. you know, particularly that first chapter. Right? I mean, there there are parts that seem to not offer the same sort of like potent wisdom as other parts, but especially that first right. chapter. I mean, I remember when he was talking about like a, the farmer who thinks that he's free because you know he's like. Mm -hmm. He has his land and he's just kind of living out there, but then he, he becomes a slave to his own labor because he, he's not content to just have enough for himself. He needs to like store up more money. And so he, he gets more land and then pretty soon he just becomes a slave. Not, I'm not talking bad about farmers, right? It was a different age, but this, you know, this is what it's, yeah, this is what uh, Thoreau. Sure. Yeah. This, this mm -hmm. idea that, you know, we, we sort of become slaves to our, like our vocation and to trying to accumulate stuff like, mm. you know, the, where we, we could have just lived out under the stars in a tent and had our family and had our tribe and we could have this so much simpler and free living, but we've traded that, as you've said, for, for comfort, right? We don't want, we want the comfort of like nice hardwood floors and we want, we want the appearance of, of driving the nice car and all these different things. And it makes us feel like, powerful it makes us feel safe and comforted um and there's there's something that we've traded in that kind of like noble savage that that exists within us right i mean i don't, I don't think there ever was such thing as a noble savage i think that's a that's a that's a literary myth a noble savage never actually never actually existed and and i think that there's a lot of romantic appeal to thoreau but when you actually look into 
who he was at the time. Mm -hmm. He was not actually, if you look into the story behind the book, as romantic as it is, he wasn't actually living that way. It was a I bit more he had fiction, someone, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had someone yeah. coming to do his laundry and he had all of it. He, he, he had all his money already provided for. And like he was, he was a transcendentalist. And he was not a he was not a Christian man. He was, the transcendentalist beliefs were ultimately a form of nature worship, I think. And Walt, yeah. Walt Whitman and and Ralph Waldo Emerson were part of this as well as a unique. They were wonderful writers, but they they were um, they were pushing back in many ways on the Christian spirit, which is to be fruitful and multiply. Now we have to be careful because we're fallen, sinful creatures, not to get into greed. And greed is a condition that we will we will always kind of, you know, fight against, um, the, 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 and greed is wanting more than you've earned. And, uh, envy is, is wanting something. So there's envy and jealousy. You can be jealous of what some, someone has, but envy is when you're willing to destroy the thing so that they can't have it. You have to struggle against that as well. And so, and so I, I think the notion of, uh, of sinful greed, uh, is something that's better addressed with repentance and with faith than it is to, oh, well, let, let's just throw off all material prosperity uh, yeah. altogether because, because God does want us to be fruitful. He does want us to be, to multiply in, in a righteous, in a righteous way. And, but at the same time, our own conscience as men struggles against our own greed, which we experience. And so what do we do with that? Well, do we scale back our lives to nothing to essentially ascetic poverty? That's one way of handling it. Um, but I don't know if that's the most godly way, because if you can't support and grow a family and you can't take dominion, it's a different direction versus living in a godly way. So um, that's that would be my response, because I've also read Thoreau and I thought that was a wonderful book and and very and very uh, especially the beginning of it. But you know, when you actually see that Thoreau wasn't living the way that even he said he was living and he would go to town and stuff like that, it's like, bro, yeah. come on. Yeah, it, it's well said. It, look, exactly what you're talking about is something that I've been wrestling with because I, I recently have come back to to my faith, right? I, I'm, mm. I've come back to being a follower with Jesus, and uh, for for me, you know, something that I I guess kind of wrestle with, and I actually just talked to uh, you know Spencer Clavin about this the other day too, and he he said similar similar things to what you've said as, and I found that like in philosophy, there there are kind of it's like there are two extremes and we, we find ourselves kind of bouncing back and forth and trying to find like a middle, a middle way. And I think that, you know, one, one road is that, that radical monkish aestheticism that you spoke of where you just give up everything mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you clothe yourself in like sackcloth and uh, you just go out and feed, feed the homeless. And, you know, you, you just trust that God would provide everything for you. And then, you know, on, on the other end of the spectrum, there's like, and I guess that the far end of the spectrum would be like the almost like the crusades type where we're just going to go out and we're going to kill everyone that doesn't agree. And we're just going to take and uh, we're going to like force this on everyone. And I think that, you know, it's like there are times where you have to go out and you have to work and you have to uh, claim your dominion. And there's times where I guess you have to kind of wrestle with your own greed. And that's just part of being a human being, I think, is that we're sometimes going to be drawn towards that side of like greed and just wanting more. And other times, you know, we, we may lose ourselves in that quest. And I don't know, I guess, like I said, it's just, it's something that's been on my mind a lot is like finding that balance of like between, you know, where Jesus says, give up all of your possessions because, you know, a rich man never makes it into heaven. And then the, the balance of the talents, the story of the talents where 
-hmm. you know, you're given these talents and you go out and you multiply and, you know, because of that, like that, that success, that power that you've gained, you're able to go out and do good works with what you've acquired. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. make, makes me think of the Stoics where they, where they talk about the preferred indifference, right? If wealth is something that for someone that has no wisdom could be very detrimental because they, they get gambling habits. They, you know, they start going out and hiring prostitutes. They buy a bunch of things that, you know, like they buy the fast car and they're driving a thousand miles an hour and kill themselves. Or, you know, someone with wisdom could take that wealth and they could invest it. They could, you know, make a successful family. They could create organizations like what you're doing, where you're giving back to other men and helping people. And so, like I said, I don't know. I, I'm still trying to find where I fit, but I, I just kind of find myself bouncing back and forth. And I think it's important to uh, pay attention to both sides of that spectrum, I think. Mm -hmm. You brought up a lot of really great things. So many things I don't I don't know which one to jump <laughs> off of. But yeah. I think the first thing I want to say is that this the parable of the rich young ruler, where Jesus says to sell everything and follow me, give away all your belongings. That that wasn't a, a guidance or a directive to to followers in general. It was specific that was to him, right? Him, yes, because his yeah. attachment to his wealth wealth mm -hmm. was going to prevent him from being a follower of Jesus in the same way that someone's attachment to someone, something else could be the same. So he, Jesus saw that, that this young man's attachment to his wealth is what would stand in between him and, and saving faith. And so it was targeted for him. Um, yeah. Now the, the talents is like, you know, God made each of us. He, he, uh, the, what does it say in Psalms? You wove me together in my mother's womb. Right. Um, and, um, he knows what our gifts are. He knows what our limitations are. And we're supposed to give our gifts freely and express them. That's the parable of the talents. Not everyone has different levels of talents. It's actually kind of funny, even though a talent is a, is a measure, a, a unit of wealth, like a dollar, it has more relevance in some ways today to what our inborn talents are. And so we can, different people are talented at different levels in the same way that different men have different heights and different women have different lev levels of beauty and all that stuff. It's like, there's no equality in nature in this way. Right. So the guidance is to say that, you know, if you're a man of many talents to go and, and, and to go and spread them, that's what you are called to do. That is your responsibility. And if you're a man of meager talents, which is a, which is fine, there's no value judgment in your worth as a human being, because we're all, um, we're all equally made in the image of God to give your talent, whatever you have and not, and not to hide it and not to fear failure, which a lot of people do. And so that's what we're actually commanded to do. Like the be fruitful and multiply the cultural mandate is such a powerful thing for God to have said. And it's so contrary to what our culture tells us. It, it says, you know, greed is greed, greed, of course, is bad. But like we have this strange relationship with wealth and prosperity that in America, where it's like, we hate billionaires. And yet Bill Gates is, is whatever, right, held up as some, you yeah. know, and, and we have these, right. And then at the same time, like there's lifestyles of the rich and famous, which is a really popular show. So we have this really twisted attitude of what of what wealth is for and, and how we feel about it. When from a more godly perspective, we're supposed to take the things that we've been given and multiply them for the glory of God. And that is the right reason to do that. Because if we do it for our own glorification, that's where our ego 
gets a big hit and then mm. pride follows and then hubris and then we get destroyed that's usually how that works that's what um i think that's what the iliad is kind of about like pride goes pride goes before the fall you see men taken down by the pride hubris that's a very homeric theme theme but if we do things for the glory of god it keeps us grounded and keeps us knowing what our place is on on the world as as created beings it keeps us humble as men it keeps us from being greedy um and and it lets us know that all increase is, is due to the lord and it's a multiple it's it's a very powerful and very humble way to be at once and that's why and that's why i love it that's why i, I know that with hard work that glorifies God, the increase will be taken care of by God. And I just have to keep giving glory and keep doing the work. And it goes where it's meant to go, you know, and, and, and I get to give thanks and I get to enjoy that and not think that it has anything to do with me. So my ego doesn't mm. get all wrapped up. Look at how awesome I am. Like, oh, I'm king of the world. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm just a guy who's been blessed to do the work that I have. I'm very lucky, lucky to do this as well mm. and to know where the real glory belongs. It's a, it's, it's a place that I've come to at this stage of my life. And I have more peace being here than I've had with any other set of beliefs that I've ever had previously. I, I love that idea of, of humility. And that's something I talk a lot about in, in my book, right? I think that that's mm. humility and, you know, kind of the, not, not that we can ever fully destroy our ego, but that ego right. destruction is such a starting place for, for everything, right? It's a, it's a starting place of new knowledge. It's the starting place of, of strength of, of just improvement in general, right? Because when we believe that we are totally sufficient or we can't be improved or we're just like, we're, we're so perfect as we are, we get so wrapped up in our own conception of self. It, it really closes off the opportunities for, for growth, for any, any kind of improvement on a personal level. I, you just, I, real quick, you just gave me an idea and I just had this thought that what if ego, ego is like an instrument. It's a tool. And the, if the if the ego um, if the e e the ego can be fragile and it can chip and it can break, or it can have not enough point at all, and a, a tool that breaks too easily is not useful. A tool that isn't sharp enough isn't useful. So there's a degree that which our ego has to be resilient enough to be shaped and honed into a useful tool, but not be so hard that it breaks. So maybe there's some balance there and what we use our, e what our ego is for and how we're supposed to use it as men. Sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, like I said, I, everything, every time I try to find something that doesn't apply, it, it always does. It, it always makes me think of that idea of just that, that middle path, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's the two extremes where someone's just a total egomaniac and someone right. has absolutely no self-confidence and doesn't believe in themselves or their own abilities. And, um, you know, it, it's hard because you, I, th I think many times to find truth, you have to hold two completely opposite and conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. And you just try mm -hmm. to, you, you, you try to kind of like make sure that you're not bouncing too far uh, in, in one direction or the other, because it is easy yep. to get, you know, especially as men, right? Like it's easy to get wrapped up in your ego when you start having success or, when you know you go out to do something that seems damn near impossible and you you go out and you do it and you achieve it it's it's very easy to get like caught up in your own hype you know you're like i did that mm -hmm. um and it's it's very easy to forget uh you know just from my own life right i mean i i feel pretty happy with where i am but there when i look back and i'm honest even though i feel very self-made and i've you know i've i've done a lot of the work to get to where i am there were critical moments where i just got lucky 
Like there's mm-hmm. things, things just fell into place that if, if like there's, there's probably two or three areas in my life where if things had just not gone how they were, despite my hard work, despite, despite all the sacrifices that I made and how, uh, focused I was in heading in a direction. If those things hadn't lined up, I, I just, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and not only that, um, I reflect on this a lot. Not only are the things that are there things that lined up for you that uh, went, that fell your way, you will never know the disasters that you mm-hmm. avoided yeah. that, 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 that just didn't happen. Right. Like that, that trips me up as like, yes, there have been lots of wonderful things that have gone my way. There's been a lot of grace, which is an unmerited favor, right? There's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of like um, disasters that I've consciously averted, like, wow, that could have gone way worse than it actually did. There's been a lot of that, but we, we literally never know just walking around every day, how many, how many disasters are just moved out of our, moved out of, out of our path. And that's like, when, when, when I really land in that, it's like, oh, wow, like I'm here. I have no yeah. idea. Like I could have been walking down the street and, you know, God forbid there was a drunk driver who whizzed by like five seconds after I, and if I had just stopped and sneezed, like who knows, right? Yeah. So it's like that. I mean, it's, you can go too far with that, but um, I think that there's truth to it also. Yeah. I, I've definitely been there where you're like, you're running like 10 or 15 minutes late trying to get where you're going. And you're just, you're so angry and upset. You're like, Oh man, I'm trying to get there. And then, you know, you come up on all this traffic and you're frustrated and you see this like fresh wreck, you know, that there's just the cars are totaled. And you're like, man, if I would have left 10 minutes earlier, if I would have left on time, you know, would that have been me? Yeah. Um, it's def- definitely a humbling, humbling thought to think about all of the disasters that we don't experience that we never even realized that we didn't experience because of some little twist of fate. Right. Yeah. Do you know who Doug Wilson is? Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. So Doug Wilson is a, he's a pastor patriarch of a, of a Christian uh, town, essentially media company, beautiful publishing company videos on YouTube. And he, I listened to a debate that he did where he was talking about how he he's in his 70, I think he just turned 70. And he, mm-hmm. it was, it was in the debate. He was talking about how, when he was a, a young man, his family was in the car and it was a rainy day. And like, he was merging onto the freeway and, you know, and, and got distracted and looked over his shoulder and then did a thing. And then as he looks behind him, there's this massive pileup that's just evolving behind him that he's, he just barely avoided. And he was reflecting about how, Every little thing that I did up until that moment to turn on the freeway or whatever it was he did led to me doing that and avoiding that. And it was very powerful to hear him recount that of, of um, I guess, in some ways, how, how close our m- mortality can be and, and how um, it was a debate ultimately about predestination. Does God sovereignly ordain, ordain all things? And, and so that was the point, the context of the story that he was telling. But I think there's a lot of, there's, a, there's probably more truth to that in our lives, not every moment of every day, but I think there's more truth to that in our lives than, than we'll ever recognize. And, and perhaps, perhaps in the afterlife, we'll get a chance to review the game footage and be like, oh, wow. Okay. Cool. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you about, like, um, obviously, you know, the, it's the Renaissance Wisdom podcast. I wrote the book, you know, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day. And, and I'm specifically mm. speaking to, you know, a 
the time back in Italy, you know, in the in the 1300s and 1400s where this occurred. And, you know, Renaissance, mm -hmm. for those who don't already know, um, is just, it, it's a French word for rebirth. It's an idea that something that essentially was lost is, is becoming reborn. So I know that, you know, you have the Renaissance of Men podcast, and that's something that's important to you. I mean, what do you see with this modern Renaissance and, you know, what, what are you seeing in your coaching and like your, your work with men specifically? Mm -hmm. So I, I came up with the term, the Renaissance of men for a couple of reasons. There was a personal aspect to it where I had, I had been reborn as a man that I, that through exposure to all the different books and teachings and videos about masculinity and manhood that I had become a, a new version of myself as a man. Mm -hmm. Um, as in like, there's no going back, like, cause when you're born, like you don't, there's no going back, right? It's a one way, it's a one way street. And so I had had that, um, that going from point A to point B or that state A to state B and not being able to change and, and, and feeling a new version of myself, um, that borrowed elements of the, of the, of the previous version, but evolved on them, I guess you might say in this new and beautiful way. So that was a personal experience for me. Um, and then there was also, once I started exploring the dialogue about masculinity, I realized that there are all these different writers, all these different men and all these different places all over the world talking about masculinity from all these different perspectives. And none of them were really in competition with each other. And there was like, like formal competition with each other so much because they weren't writing about identical things and there was no leader. There was no one guy driving the entire process. And I, I just had this, this intuition, this insight that it was a lot like the Italian Renaissance where you had all these different artists who were exploring new forms of art or really, you know, bringing classic art forms like from the Greek and Roman civilization forward to, you know, push back on, uh, on the uh, religious oppression, I guess you might say of the day uh, and introducing a, a humanism and into something that had been a, a bit too strict. And so I looked around, I'm like, this is a lot like, this is a lot like the Italian Renaissance where you have all these different men who are striving for excellence in a leaderless environment and all the men are inspiring each other to produce a rebirth, not only in individual men's lives, but in civilization. And so mm -hmm. that's what the Renaissance of men is about is when you give rebirth to men, especially meaning today, 2023, you create a rebirth in civilization because strong men who can handle their lives and handle their households, let women give women the opportunity to step back. And then women can be wives and mothers again. And men can, men can be strong. Women can be soft. Children can be born. And that creates a rebirth of civilization. But you first have to re, give, re, give rebirth to men. Um, and, and so that's where I came up. But I, because I had been through that process, that was where I put those two pieces together. Yeah, I, I love that. And something that you touched on, which, which I really, really emphasize heavily, is you know, that, that Renaissance, even though it's, it's this collective like experience, it happens on an individual level and that's what makes it so powerful, yes. right? Is it, it's not this like mass movement of all these people who get together and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. It's a bunch of individuals yeah, who's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of individuals that look within themselves. They start identifying, you know, 
parts of themselves or, or wisdom that's been lost. And they say, I want to re rebirth this in my own life. And they bring it forward. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, something I talk about a lot is the, you know, the Greek city state where there's this idea that strong individuals make the city and the state stronger, right? They didn't want to oppress individuals. Mm -hmm. They didn't want everyone to be uniform and alike and exactly the same. They, you know, one, one person's a blacksmith, one person is a farmer, one person is a politician, one person is, uh, you know, makes clothes and all these different people come together and they form this very robust society of people who are very good at what they do. And uh, it, it seems that that's, you know, the collectivism of our day obviously is very different than the collectivism of the Italian Renaissance. However, um, it does have similarities in the sense that I, I think it is a it is a form of collectivism. It's it, it wants everyone to sort of like get into line and just be the same. Yes, yes, individuality. In it, it's it's strange in that this collectivism celebrates quote unquote individuals, but why do all the individuals <laughs> look the same? Why yeah. do they all have the blue hair and the fatigues and all that? Like, oh, I'm an individual. And um, because it's, they're actually giving up on their individuality by, um, by, let's see if I can put this into words. They're giving up on their individuality by giving into their worst impulses. So like they're, they're, they're uh, giving into what they call authentic self-expression, right? If I just express myself authentically, which is the, the deepest level of my being or whatever, and I just do what I want, then that's my individuality. Well, I don't. I don't think that's true. I don't think individuality, uh, like, a, like, can't be honed, honed without discipline and sacrifice. It's not like we're just not naturally all a special and unique snowflake, right? We're <laughs> we're fallen and sinful human beings. This is the this is the clash of worldviews that's going on, and and in, because we're fallen and sinful human beings, we need to um, discipline our 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 are authentic, it is authentic, our, our sinful nature, and become something useful and productive that contributes to society. And so you have this clash of worldviews where you have people like, I'm, I'm an individual, look at how, how authentic I'm being by just absolutely dissolving in like video games and food and porn and, you know, whatever, blue hair, all that stuff. It's like they're, they're giving, they're surrendering to their impulses versus the other impulse, which is to say, no, I'm going to take the, these worst impulses and I'm going to, um, I'm going to, we'll say suppress them, or I'm going to discipline them. And I'm going to bring forth the things about me that are actually unique, but that are uncultivated. And I'm going to bring them forward. And that is my real individuality. And as a man, that's how I identify myself in community. This is how we mutually support each other. This is, this is going from dependence to independence to interdependence. And that is a process that takes time and effort and discipline and sacrifice and pain and the, and the saying no to our worst impulses. That is real individuality. It isn't granted, particularly as men, it's honed. And so that's that. So this word individual, like I'm an individual, I'm authentic. I think it's been polluted with this bad idea of like, just because I'm saying and doing whatever I want, I'm an individual. I, I don't think that's true. To be, I, I, like, I like the phrase most useful mammal. To become a useful mammal takes effort, and then you discover right. your real individuality. Yeah, and it, it's not just about, you know, like discovering this like authentic self, which just means like you're going out there and you're living 
the most comfortable way possible. Many, many times the, the best path or the most beneficial path is not the easy path, right? Like most of the time, the right. thing that's actually better for you is harder to do. You know, it, it's like fitness mm -hmm. is a great example of this or eating, right? You know, it's like many times, you know, for me, like I've been so wrapped up in my diet for so long that I, I, I don't really crave bad foods that often anymore because I know what comes after, mm -hmm. but you know, it's like the, the more hooked your body gets on junk food, the more it starts to crave those things. And it's, you know, it's just, it's much easier to get like the really greasy, like crappy quality burger and fries and a pizza and eat that because you feel good for a moment. It, it's much easier to do that than it is to, you know, make the decision to eat something that's going to be more beneficial for you. And same thing with exercise, right? I mean, it's how, mm -hmm. how easy is it to just, wake up and say, I'm not going to go to the gym today. It's, it's so easy. There's so many things that like, it's pretty many easy. Time, yeah. You'd rather do than than go put yourself through discomfort. But the, the reward for that is you becoming a little bit closer to that better self. And I think that that's like, you know, that's really being authentic. That's really trying to be your best. You is trying to make the best version of yourself. Uh, and you know, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this and it, I really like the way that he says it, which is like, you know, treat yourself the way that you would treat someone that you care about. And it's, it's like, it's so mm -hmm. simple, but it's like, if you saw someone destroying themselves with junk food and not going to the gym and their mental health was a wreck. And, you know, this is someone that you're really close with and you care about you would just tell them to get their shit together. Right. And maybe, you know, maybe some people wouldn't, right. Cause we we're so afraid that holding someone accountable or telling them what's good for them is going to make them dislike us. But, you know, if, if we really see that someone is hurting themselves, we're going to try to stop them. And we have to do that for ourselves because we, we can't necessarily, you know, in, unless you have a, a close group of, and I'm sure this is something that you you know, recommend is having like a close group of like men around you that'll hold you accountable. But if you don't have someone around you, that's going to hold you accountable, then who, who's going to tell you if you're going down the wrong path, it, it really has to be something that you decide for yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's interesting that, that Peterson quote, treat yourself like someone that you care about. And I think that there's some ambiguity in the word care because mm -hmm. men and women care for people differently. Um, yeah. I, I won't say that there's intentional ambiguity in, in that, but um, he didn't he he didn't seem in the moment to to go to pains to, to disambiguate it because uh, for women care is unconditional acceptance, right? That's 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 what that means. That's mothers women are particularly empathetic and they're agreeable because it's really important for a mother to offer a young child an infant unconditional acceptance. It's not, it's, it's not easy, but it's very important. And that's how a mother cares for an infant. And it's a completely valid form of care. Um, but there's another form of care, which is how a father cares for a young child, which is to discipline and to say no, and to subject to, to the pain of discipline, to subject to the, to the pain, uh, the, the, the pain of denial of, of our wants. And that is equally valid, an, an equally valid form of care. And it's a form of care that's particularly lacking in our hyper-feminized society. And so um, while mm -hmm. he's right that we should treat ourselves like someone that we care about, we have to be very careful, um, no pun intended, about um, what kind of care we're showing ourselves. Because there are absolutely times where I need to offer myself like, okay, 
I've, I have burned myself out in the past, you know, especially last year I worked too hard and I, I, I couldn't let up the gas on myself. And it's like, okay. And my body let me know like, nope, just you're done for a little while while you recover from that. And so I've learned since then how to care for myself in terms of like, okay, I actually do need to do something nice for myself and not work right now. Right. Like, okay, I've been, I've gone to the gym every day for the past seven days and my, my body hurts. It's like, maybe I could take a day off or something like that. Or I don't have to go gorilla style, you know, do a, do a level nine out of, uh, out of 10 workout five days in a row. Cause there's a, there's a, there's an impulse to do that. Like, okay, I can give myself a five today or a three, or it's enough for me to go in the, the gym and just, and, and just take it easy just to go in there. But there's also the form of care where it's, where it's like, ah, oh, you know, I just want to take a break today. Like, no, 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 I don't get to take a break today. And we have to learn both of those, but it's mm-hmm. particularly, I think particularly in our culture now, we, we offer a very feminine form of care of unconditional self-acceptance. And I, I just want to be careful with that term so that men don't flip to the other side, which is like, hard unremitting discipline as humans we need both like we need mothers and fathers and and i don't know that that distinction gets made enough in the notion of self-care it's it's very complicated it's tough and and just real quick our parents are supposed to teach this to us between the balance of a healthy uh, loving mother and a healthy loving father who themselves are in a healthy loving relationship they model for us you know unconditional self-acceptance and also, um, and also discipline and effort out in the world. And so we're supposed to internalize that from our childhood. Most men don't get enough of either one or the other, and that leads to a lot of dysfunction in our society. Mm. Yeah, lo- lots of really good distinctions and stuff there. I think, you know, we, we keep coming back <laughs> to that, that balance, right? There's, there's, there has to be a balance. There's, there's two conflicting sides, and you, you find yourself walking a tightrope in the middle. And... Um, yeah, I do I do think it's really important too, as you mentioned, you know, just coming up as a kid. Um, you know, my my dad, you know, it's it's complicated, but my dad wasn't around too much, and you know, so I was raised up more so, you know, by my mom and, uh, you know, like my aunt and my cousins, and it it did. I think I think that was part of why I kind of never had that discovery. I had to do a little bit more work later on, was because I I had a lot of that unconditional love. I had a lot of that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate yeah. and blessed that I did have that, but, um, you know, I think I could have done well to had a little bit more of that. And I was lucky because I, my stepdad did that for me a little bit. We, we butted heads a lot. Mm. And unfortunately, like I was just, he came into my life around the time where I was like a really just, you know, 13, 14 year old, like cocksure young kid. And I just thought I knew everything. And, um, we also just, we're, we're different men. We're very different people. So a lot of times we just, we just don't agree about certain things, but I am very lucky that I had him there because I think he, he, he really tried to hold me accountable for things. And I'm, I think that I did pick up a lot of good lessons from him because of that. So, um, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely an important thing to emphasize. So. Mm-hmm. One one thing I did want to ask you, you know, one of the goals of this podcast is specifically to look at like actionable things or tips uh, that people can kind of take from mm. what you do or from your life and apply to their own life. So what would you say? I mean, and you can pick however many it is. I don't know if it's a top two or a top three or if it's just a basket, but what are the main ways? Like if someone's listening to this today, you know, young man or man's listening to this today and they say, I want to be a better man. I want to start making myself better. What do you think some of the top ways for them to do that would be? 
Mm-hmm. There's so many. Yeah. Um, but I'll pull, I'll pull some from my life that I think have been most relevant. Sure. Um, the first thing is chastity, meaning like no sex with anyone you're not married to. And mm-hmm. the, reason, the reason why that matters is because we live in a dating-centric culture and um, where men and women just kind of try each other on, see if they like each other. They get their hormones all mixed up you know, for a few months and then they sober up from the dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin rush and like, oh, do I actually like this person? Do we have anything in common? And then they break up and it sucks for a number of months and then they repeat the whole cycle again. And that cycle is extraordinarily taxing on the mind and the body and the heart and the spirit. And we've all done it. I've done it so many times, so many times. And there's nothing that will screw up a man's life path faster than a woman. Nothing at all. And so what ends up happening really is if we're not chased, if we're not making lifelong bonding commitments before we enter in to the whole chemical hormonal blessing of falling in love, what we end up, what we end up doing mostly is falling into what we call like codependent relationships, where these are not two people that are mutually supporting each other in becoming better versions of themselves. They're two people that are supporting each other in their weakness, whether or not they know mm. it. And so the whole courtship process is you're, you're vetting each other, men, like, are we actually going to work together to build a life together? And you stay completely romantically sober, right? Maybe you're not even kissing. Maybe you're like barely holding hands. And that emotional sobriety is so key, is so, so, so key until you as a man discover who you are, what you want, what you need in a life partner. That's essential because, because until you can consciously determine and know yourself well enough to decide for what that is, unless you had really good parents, you are not going to know what that is. And you're going to stumble into a number of different relationships. Look, I, I'm not saying this is something that I did, mm-hmm. right? That I was very lucky, very blessed to get delivered from. So this is from experience is to maintain romantic, emotional sobriety until you know exactly what it is you know, by some, to some degree, let's say of what you're looking for in a partner. And then you make a commitment to that person and you have everyone vet them and all that so that you're making a smart decision. And then you begin building with them rather than fall into bed with somebody, fall in love with them, and then go through the excruciating process of pulling yourself emotionally apart. Mm -hmm. So that's one. So chastity is really, is really, really important. And what we might call that is romantic, emotional sobriety is a better way of thinking of it. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The other I would say is, um, the other I would say is barbell training, um, free, specifically free weights. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a barbell extremist, but I think that there's something very powerful about the barbell and the four big lifts and that it forces you as a man to encounter reality in a non-negotiable way. The bar either goes yeah. up or it doesn't, <laughs> right? Period. There's no like, come on. It's like, no, the bar doesn't care. It's just, it's just dumb, dumb, inert weight. And so you've either done what you needed to do to move uh, more weight on the bar or you didn't, right? And, and, and what we're thirsting for as men is an encounter with reality. And this was something that previous generations of great grandfathers and before dealt with every day, non-negotiable reality. You're out there on the frontier in the woods, the, you're farming, the rains come, the rains don't come, you're in the mines and the rock is chipping off or whatever. Like you regality, material reality is non-negotiable. And we're so Mm -hmm. deprived of that. 
today, especially in our digital lives, everything is negotiable. The barbell is not negotiable. And so that's why I really recommend it. It's like spiritual training and non-negotiable reality. And you have to care about it. You have to care about making, we'll say literally making the earth move, pulling harder than the earth on something. You have to care about that. So you can learn how to do that as a man. That's the second thing. And the third thing that I really recommend if you can pull it off is, is solo travel. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been very blessed to travel extensively and it taught me a lot about myself, but I realized recently, I think I was on a podcast talking about this. So the American redemption podcast, I, I went down to, I, I traveled extensively between 2016 and 2020. And my first stop from uh, March until April, 2016 was um, Argentina. So I spent 30 days traveling through mm -hmm. Argentina. And when I look back and thought and, and remember what I was able to do in just 30 days, I'm astounded at how much I was able to grow and see and experience and do in just 30 days. And I think, I think, um, particularly solo as a man, I think for women, it's a little different, but I think this is a pod, maybe it's a podcast for men. We're men talking. So, so I'll recommend to men that, um, to find a time in your life before you make that binding romantic commitment to say like, okay, I'm going to travel for 30 days overseas in a, in, in probably not in a European country, like go to South America, you know, go to, go to Asia somewhere, something unfamiliar. And if you, and I really think like, if you have to quit your job and move out of your apartment to pull it off, like do it, you will not regret it because you will experience You'll experience what it means to have to make snap decisions. You'll experience what it means to have to be uncomfortable and still keep pushing on because the clock is ticking. Like I'm running out. You want to experience immediacy. You want to experience like um, it's, it's in a sense mortality because mortality is a feeling we have limited time on earth. So I better get a lot done. Well, if you want to experience artificial mortality, artificial time scarcity, travel for 30 days and you'll say like, gosh, I really want to sleep in today, but this is one more day off of my week. And I only have limited time before I have to go home. I'm going to get up and do the thing. I'm going to find the energy to do it. And then being able to being in unfamiliar circumstances, having to negotiate with people, learning about the difference between the way that we as Americans communicate with our face and with our mouth, everyone else around the world communicates with body language. Like they don't care what you're saying up here. They're paying attention to what your body is doing, right? It's wild. And like all these things are the benefits of travel. And if you, if you solo travel with a backpack and you go low, low budget, there's a guy named Nomadic Matt. You can go to his website and buy his book and he'll show you exactly how to do it financially. Brilliant work that he did. That will teach you more things than you can, you can possibly learn at home. You can't do the same thing. Maybe you could hike the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Coast Trail. I think there's something to that. Um, but I think overseas travel can be very, very powerful, especially before you're locked into things like a mortgage and stuff and a family and stuff. So I really recommend those, those things. So first is um, chastity, emo emotion, emo romantic emotional sobriety. Second is uh, barbell training. And third is solo overseas travel. Those would be my three things. Awesome. Really, really good tips. And I guess not, you know, a couple of them, not necessarily conventional uh, tips either. I, I like that you have, you're offering a little bit of a different perspective there too. Um, Cause it's, it's very common that we kind of hear the same things over and over and over again. I, I think the ideas of, you know, chastity and also the, the solo travel. Um, I, I, I do see that offering a lot of benefit to someone, especially, you know, in those kind of early formative years, like you said, before you start getting wrapped up into 
um, you know, more of like the serious relationships and mortgages and marriage and kids and uh, your, your career yeah. job that you're kind of locked into as well. Yes. Yes. And I think all of these are, they're spirit, excuse me, they're spiritual exercises of discipline, mm -hmm. right? Like the spiritual exercise of discipline and, and emotional, emotional sobriety is like saying no to easy sexual access, which of right. course everyone, like we're, we're built to desire that. And then discipline of being able to lift more weight. And then the discipline of being time disciplined of knowing that like, I came here to do a job and to see and to do and to experience, and I'm going to be mindful with my time and money too. I think that these are all spiritual disciplines that can shape you as a man. And, and then you'll look back when you are settled for, with travel in particular. And if you're married, you'll look back and say, I saved this powerful aspect of myself, my sexuality for my wife. It is a gift that I'm giving her. Right. And then, and then I, I learned, and I went back and I, I had the adventure because there are so many men, there's so many men that they get 30, 40, 50 or whatever. And they look back and say, I never had an adventure. And I really regret never going on the adventure. I regret never doing this bucket list thing to give yourself the gift when you're an older man of not having regret is, is a mm. wonderful, wonderful thing. Yes. Yeah. That that's so important. Um, I, I was having a conversation with a little bit of a younger guy, um, the other day on the podcast and he was telling me that he's basically, you know, he's a musician and he's going to move out to Los Angeles and like make a, make a go of being a professional drummer. And I'm like, do it, man. <laughs> like, cool. you know, like absolutely. Um, I, I did a cross country move when I was in my twenties and came down here to Atlanta, Georgia to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu full time. And, you know, though, though I kind mm -hmm. of shifted my perspectives over time, um, I am so happy that I did it because I just, I don't, I don't have that regret. I don't have that thing in my soul where I look back on my life and I'm like, I wish I would have, you know, I wish I would have done this. I would have, wish I would have pursued my passion. So I think it is very important, right? At a young age before you get tied into things. Cause it, the more time goes on, it's not necessarily that you're just like older. It's just that you're, you're more tied into your life. You're, you're a little bit more tied down. Mm -hmm. But if you, but, but I would say if, if, if you as a man are feeling called to go, you know, do that, like don't screw around and do it. Like if you're yeah. going down to be there, be a drummer, play the drums. Right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. there, there's lots of ways to fall off the music path for sure. Yeah. Couple, a uh, couple quick questions I want to run through. I ask all my guests these. Uh, first one I wanted to ask you about is just you know daily habits. If you have any uh, personal habits that you'd like to run through. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like personal habits. Let's see. Yeah. Um, some of the ones that are some of the ones that are most important to me is uh, I structure my weeks so that I'm doing certain tasks on certain days. So my podcast production is a good example where it's like, okay. I have to record it, I have to edit it, I have to mix it, post it, et cetera. I, when I started out doing, because it's like a lot goes into it. Like it's not just doing the interview. It's like, there's all the technical production and the yep. posting on the back plus graphic design and stuff. So I, I would do, I, I remember early on, I would try to do it all over the course of like two days. And I just drove myself nuts because I was doing so many different things, trying to get the thing done. So when I started structuring my week, like I do this on Monday and this on Tuesday, so I have my particular process, that was a huge, huge innovation for me. Okay. Um, that's one of them. Another, another thing um, that, I, um, that I really like to do is uh, I have blocking apps on my phone and on my laptop that, that block um, social media sites until set times in the day. So I wake up in the morning and uh, I, I use Opal on my phone and Freedom on my desktop. 
so that I wake up and there's no like social media notifications. Like I have to actively like wait 60 seconds before I can even turn off the block. And I find that that really helps remove any impulse I might have to, to dive into a screen right away. And so I, I really, um, I do that. Um, Bible reading is a big part of my day, getting up in the morning now and going out and getting direct sunlight on my face. That makes a huge difference. That has made a huge difference for my sleep as well. So, uh, but in general, like I, I, I'm not naturally a, a person who follows like rigid daily structures. I don't do well in that. Um, I tend to be a little bit more free flowing, but if I hit the, if I hit my main points during the day, um, I think that makes a big difference. And I've changed my diet uh, as well. So now I'm essentially, I'm essentially carnivore now. Same. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I switched to, I, I went keto because I kept my energy levels even during the day, not because I'm some sort of fanatic. I'm like, oh, cool. No, no crash in the afternoon. But then I, I took, I cut out dairy and all my nasal congestion went away. So it's like, okay, so meat and eggs is an avocado is basically where I'm at right now. So those would be my daily disciplines, I guess you'd say. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I uh, started doing carnivore about six months ago and I was doing like, you know, just meat, eggs, dairy, um, fruit. Um, I spoke to Anthony Ch uh, Chaffee. He came onto the show. Um, he basically encouraged me to just go ahead and cut out the fruit, cut out the fruit, mm -hmm. felt really, really good for about a month. And then I just started feeling really terrible at jujitsu. Um, yeah. And I started adding fruit back in over the last, uh, you know, three, four weeks and I'm feeling great again. So for, for me, it, where it's at is like meat, dairy, uh, eggs, fruit, avocados. Um, but it's, it's just different for everyone, right? You have to, mm -hmm. you have to just eat certain things and see how you feel. Cause not everyone tolerates stuff the same. Correct. Yeah. And for me, like I can, I do fruit as well, but it has to be, it has to be in the evenings because afternoon, cause even I've become so sensitive to any amount of carbs now that like, if I, if, even if I have like like blueberries or strawberries. Strawberries mm -hmm. are a really great um, fruit that are very um, bulky for a low amount of carbs. But if, even if I have those for breakfast, I'll feel it in the afternoon, which is annoying, but whatever. Yeah. What about, um, what about books? Do you, I, I'm assuming you're a big reader. Uh, if you yeah. had to, if you had to pick two, what, what would the, the top two book recommendations be? Okay. Well, obviously we'll have to leave the Bible out of that because that doesn't count. That's uh that's something other than a book, but, um, Oh man, that's so tough. I have to look, I have to, I have to look over at my bookshelf. Like <laughs> yeah. I, uh, can we, can we count the, um, can we count the CS Lewis, uh, space trilogy? It's three books. Can we count that as one kind of like the Lord of the Rings is one sure. book or do I sure, have to, yeah. okay. Okay. And if I had to pick one book, well, I'll be fair. If I had to pick one book out of the trilogy, it'd be the second one. It would be Paralandra. I, okay. I, that book, that was life. That book was life changing. Um, for me. So I, I think I would probably pick that one. And if I had to pick a nonfiction book, oh man, I, I really like this book, the revolt of the primitive. Um, that book was really formative for me as well. Um, it's about, it's about essentially how, um, it was written in 2000, 2001, something like that. And it was a psychologist who was writing about how, um, he saw that in feminism was um a a primal psychological impulse to revolt against um against the structure and discipline that will be needed 
to form a, a high functioning society. It's a last ditch effort of this primal part of our minds. It's like, no, I will not be disciplined that we, that, that from his, from his perspective, we have to overcome to get to the next stage of civilization. So I read that book and it was like a master key to everything that was going on. So that's the one that, that's the one that comes to mind, but I could probably think of like a few more if I thought about it. Sure. Okay. And what about, uh, what about personal heroes? Do you have any personal heroes or anyone that you particularly look up to? In, um, I used to, I haven't seen the movie, but when I was, uh, when I was younger, I really liked the idea of, uh, Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, who had the, who, I mean, I don't know whether this is true or not, but this was, I believe this when I was younger, who had the courage to recognize, again, I don't know if this is true now. The movie just came out. There's been so much more history, but what I, what was appealing to me about him was that he had the courage to recognize that these nuclear secrets would lead to a dangerously unbalanced world. And that he rebalanced the world by sharing nuclear secrets. And that theme of, of, of sharing what you know, even though, um, even though the people that bring you up might not like it, has shown up over and over again in my life. So I also really like the character of Marco Ramius in the book Hunt for Red October. Sean Connery played him in the movie. Great movie, by the way. Um, about Marco Ramius as this sub-captain who's given control, this legendary sub-captain, who's give, a submarine, who's given control of the stealthy nuclear sub from the Russian, the Russian Navy that can like creep up, you know, it doesn't have propeller noise. It can creep up and, and uh, on a, on a coastline and shower it with nuclear missiles and then disappear. And so he recognizes this is a very dangerous technology, unilateral technology. So in the hunt for October, he defects and this whole story is about him trying to give the submarine to Americans. And then I also really like um, in the Bible, I really um, connect with Paul Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he became a Christian, and he used his knowledge to um, to really not just evangelize the Gentiles, but to really make the case that um, this was the fulfillment of biblical truth of the Old Testament, and and uh, and actually convert from being a persecutor of, of Christ of Christ and Christians to being um, to being one of the most powerful apostles and the guy who wrote most of the New Testament in terms of page numbers. So. Um, this theme, this theme of, um, of a, we might call a noble betrayal has come up in my life many times. So that's, that seems to be something that I, um, that I gravitate towards. Okay. And, uh, the, the last question, I'm trying to keep it quick. Cause I know we got a, a cutoff time here pretty quick. Um, the, the last question that I got for you, this is kind of the one that, you know, sometimes stump people a little bit, um, if if you you know could hop in a time machine, whatever, pick up a phone call, call a younger version of yourself, teenage version of yourself, and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Don't get into long distance relationships. All right. Long distance relationships are not relationships. Yeah. They create the illusion of relationship when really all you're doing is you're spending a weekend a month together, or you're talking on the phone, or now Zoom. It, it creates the illusion of female companionship, but it's not real female companionship, but it'll never force you to be as good a man as fighting for a real relationship in your real life will be. So no long distance relationships is, is what I would say instantly without yeah. hesitation. Yeah, I was good. that was this quick. All right. Mm. <laughs> I'm hard to stump. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good answer. Uh, mm. All right. So 
if anybody you know listening to the show, watching the show today, wanted to reach out and get a hold of you, find out more about you or your work, what what's the best way for someone to reach out to you? Or look, well, if you want to, yeah, if you want to, if you want to get in touch with all the different content I produce, whether it be for my podcast or my documentary, um, you can go to renofmen.com/links. If you have any questions about anything I've said and you want to connect with me directly, you can email me at info at renofmen.com. Um, and you can find me on social media, basically every platform, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Ren of Men. And that's uh, R-E-N-O-F-M-E-N, like Renaissance of Men, but shorter, Ren of Men. So any one of those three methods will be great. And if you're curious about my men's mentorship, you can go to renofmen.com slash mentorship or my men's group, the council, renofmen.com slash council. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me today. I uh, really, really enjoyed, you know, getting to know you and getting to know a little bit more about some of your philosophy and mindset. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, and hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.